is a hero? Are they born? Is it in their DNA? Or are heroes created, refined in the fires of trial and adversity? Maybe being a hero is a choice. A choice to be bold, to stand up for what is right. A choice not to wait, but to seek out opportunities to take up the torch of faith and hold it high, no matter the cost. Good morning, good morning, church, and welcome to the conclusion of a really great series. We've been in this awesome series called True Grit, The Beauty of Bravery. And, and you know what I love about this series is because we live in this world that's kind of obsessed with heroes, right? I mean, maybe many of you have already seen the, the new Marvel movie, The Avengers, and man, it's just like we love that because we love heroes who stand up for what is right and who fight against evil. And we, we love that in our world and our society. And in this series, we've been looking at an unlikely hero. We're looking at somebody who you're like, they're really a hero, but yeah, they are in real life and they live for the glory of God and they impacted the world and they in fact changed the world. And we've been studying this Old Testament book of Esther and you're seeing this female, this woman that back in her day and her time, she stood up and her, her dad, you know, Mordecai, who stood up for what they believed in and, and they made a difference and God's calling all of us to be a hero. God's calling us to step out and be brave. Now, what I love about this Old Testament book is this, that God's name is never mentioned, which is kind of crazy, right? It's a book of the Bible, but God's name is never mentioned. The only book in the entire Bible, all 66, that God's name is not mentioned. But what Mordecai wrote it and saying is this, is that God is sovereign and God is always with us. If we will trust him, if we will hold on to him, if we will follow him, God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. Hold on to him. Hold on to him. And seeing Esther, this, this woman, now back in ancient history, I mean, women had little rights, but God says, no, I'm using men and women to accomplish my will for my glory. And so we're seeing her step up. And I've loved the feedback from the series. So many people are like, wow, I didn't know much about this book and what God's been teaching me and how relevant it is 2,500 years later for our lives as we're called to live out, as we're called to be brave. The other day I was, I was walking, I was at Publix and I was checking out and I come up to the cashier, you know, said, hi, how you doing, you know, and check it out there. And then she looks at me and she goes, hey, by the way, I love this series on Esther. And I'm like, hey, me too, you know? And she's like, every week is a cliffhanger. You know, I have to go home and I have to read the rest. And say, I hope it's okay if I read ahead. And I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. I said, well, come this Sunday because it's the conclusion. So we're gonna find out what happens. So I'm glad you're here wherever you are. But you know, this is awesome because God has been teaching us. So let me do a quick review, quick review. If you've missed any weeks, let me just kind of bring you up to speed on where we are because we conclude today. But Esther wins a beauty contest. We said it was just like The Bachelor. It's where The Bachelor kind of got that whole idea, went back 2,500 years ago and saw it come down. And Esther, out of all the women, comes the king, Xerxes. He gives her the final rose and she wins and she becomes the queen of Persia. I mean, like out of nowhere, like Meghan Markle, right? I mean, it's like all of a sudden, right? I mean, she's royalty. Like, how did that happen? I mean, here she is. And I mean, nobody would have ever guessed Esther. And now she's the queen of the whole Persian empire. I mean, unbelievable story, right? And so here, Mordecai, this is Esther's relative who raised her. He serves in the palace. Mordecai, Esther's parents died when she was young. 
And so Mordecai, you know, takes her, kind of adopts her. I mean, he's her daddy, like he raises her. He gives her a spiritual foundation. He says, hey, listen, you're a Jew, but don't tell the king that, you know, kind of keep that on the down low. But he's working in the palace. He's serving there. So you got Esther and Mordecai and Esther now the queen. Well, Haman comes along and Haman is the chief of staff of Xerxes. This guy's the enemy, bad guy. I mean, really evil guy. And he conceives a plan to destroy all of the Jews. All right? So he can't stand Mordecai because Mordecai won't bow down to him. He won't worship him. So everybody else is bowing down to this guy, Haman. And Mordecai's like, listen, I'm a Jew. I worship God. I only worship him. I I can't bow down and worship you. And Haman gets so mad, right? He conceives a plan not only to kill Mordecai, but to destroy all of the Jews. And we said, you know, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about that, that in in life, you're going to have conflict. We don't like conflict. I tell my girls sometimes, like, if everybody likes you, there's going to be somebody who doesn't like you because everybody likes you. You know, they're jealous of that. So you just have to understand that Mordecai is a man of integrity, but Haman is a man who's evil, just pure evil. So he comes up with this plan, sends this edict out all across the Persian Empire to destroy all the Jews. Mordecai finds out about Haman's plan, and he asks Esther to intervene with the king. So Mordecai finds out in that these these people have gone out all over the empire and said on this day in March of 473 BC, we want all the Jews to be killed. It was about 11 months later, get ready. We're gonna have them all killed. Mordecai finds out and he goes to Esther and he says, Esther, you gotta step in. Esther, I know you're the queen. You've gotta step up. You've gotta go talk to the king. You've gotta stop this, Esther. Esther must decide whether or not to put her life on the line in order to save her people. Esther has to make a decision. Now think about Esther, okay? Esther's the queen. Esther's living in luxury, all right? She's got servants. She's getting a manicure and a pedicure every day. She's got spa day all the time. She's living in luxury. And she's got it made, right? She's like, I'm the queen, Do I really want to step out and say something and kind of like lose my whole position? You know, I might be killed. And Mordecai goes, well, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if God made you queen for a time such as this? What if it wasn't just so that you could have luxury and have a lot of stuff and wealth? What if God has a bigger plan and a bigger purpose? And I love where Esther comes to that point in her life and she says, you know what? If I perish, I perish. Wow. Wow. You know, I'm living for God. I'm going to step out. I'm going to do what's right. If I perish, I perish. So she goes to the king, right? She tells Mordecai, hey, you guys pray and fast. She goes to the king. And if you go to the king and you're not invited, I mean, that's it. You're dead, right? But, but she steps up and she goes to the king. He extends the gold scepter and says, Queen Esther, what is it you want? And she says, I want you and Haman to come to a banquet I'm throwing. I want you guys to come. I'm going to have a banquet. I'll tell you then. You guys come on over to the banquet And so they come to this banquet, and they're there. And Esther, we don't know whether her courage failed her, or we don't know whether just woman's intuition. I mean, women are so smart, and she just kind of senses, hey, the moment's not right. But she goes, here's what I want. I want you guys to come to another banquet. I want you guys to come back, and then I will tell you what I want. And the king and Haman are like, okay. And so the king goes back and he, you know, can't sleep that night, you know, and God's sovereignty, God, God says, hey, you know, hey, I'm, I'm just going to disturb you in that sleep. And, and he says, hey, bring the annual of all the good things that have happened in the kingdom. And he realizes, hey, Mordecai helped save my life. 
He exposed this plot to assassinate me. And so God's already working on the king and Esther's praying like crazy. And today we see that they come back for this banquet and let's watch it all unfold today and see what happens. So if you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to Esther chapter seven. And we're gonna be in seven through 10 today and find out the end of the book, the end of the story, what happens here with Esther. Now, Esther is kind of in the middle of the Old Testament, right? So you got 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. So it's right in that section. But we've said, even though it kind of falls there, chronologically, it's one of the last books that's written in the Old Testament. And then there's this 400 years of silence. So this is an important, important book because God is saying, I'm using Esther and Mordecai to prepare my people for the coming Messiah. So this is so important. So dial in with us, Esther chapter seven, pick up in verse one. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. As they were drinking wine, you see there's a ton of wine drinking in this whole book. I mean, they're always drinking wine, right? As they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. All right, I mean, that's a big deal, right? I mean, Esther, whatever you want, up to half the kingdom. And Esther's probably going, okay, I'm putting my life on the line or maybe I'll just take half the kingdom. I'll do that, half the kingdom. And she's like, no, no, you know, and she's just praying. You can picture her praying. Yeah, have you ever had one of those conversations that you're like gonna invite somebody to church or somebody at work and you're just like, I don't know what to say, but I'm getting ready to step into that. And you, you have this silent prayer. You know what I'm talking about? You're just like, okay, God, God, I need you. Speak through me. God, prepare the situation. I think Esther did that. I mean, deep breath, like, here you go. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Who is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther answered, the adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine and went out to the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. So picture the scene. Back then, I mean, they would recline at the table to eat. And so they're all reclined. And, and Esther says, it's Haman. And the king's like, what? And he gets mad. And he, he walks out. And Haman realizes he's in trouble. And he starts to beg. Wait, wait, Esther. And he begs. And, and just as the king returned, walks back into the, from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. And the king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? And as soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king said, a gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He had it made for Mordecai who spoke up to help the king. I love this eunuch. Harbona, you know, man, he just can't stand Haman. He's just like, I've been waiting for this moment, right? <laughs> hey, King, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but there's a 75-foot gallows that Haman built for Mordecai. Just letting you know, it's right there. <laughs> the king said, well, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows. 
he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence for the king. For Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring. I mean, that's like the power of attorney, right? That's saying, hey, this is speaking for the king, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and he presented it to Mordecai. Mordecai becomes the chief of staff. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it is the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the the dispatches that Haman, the son of Hamadethia, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? And how can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have hanged him on the gallows. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. So you may remember back in history, the law of the Medes and Persians, right? You can't change the law. So the king's edict has already gone out that, you know, in 11 months on that March date in 473, that all the Jews would be destroyed. And so the king goes, I can't change that. I can't revoke it. How about write a new law? How about come up with something else? Write something else and we'll send everybody out, the couriers out. Well, the king's new edict, verse 11, granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children and to plunder their property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses raced out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was also issued in the citadel of Susa. So they write a new edict. Hey, Jews, you can defend yourself. You know what? Now when their enemies come to kill you and your women and your children and to take all your possessions, you can stand up and fight. <laughs> Mordecai left the king's presence wearing the royal garments of blue, white, a large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province, in every city, wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. So all of a sudden, everybody's like, yes, deliverance, right? The good guys, this is gonna be awesome. Well, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned. <laughs> And the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities in all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those seeking their destruction. No one could stand against them 
because the people of all other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces and the satraps, the governors and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces and he became more and more powerful. So now this new edict goes out and all the governors and the leaders, they rally behind the Jews. And so when the people come to attack them, the Jews fight back with the help of all the people around them. <laughs> all this community rises up. And we see, if you keep reading in chapter nine, they killed 75,000 people, their enemies who were coming to attack them that day. They just took them out. They were ready to stand and fight. In chapter, verse 20 of chapter nine, it says, Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes near and far to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and the joy of giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the son of Hamadethia, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pur, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. If you remember a few chapters ago, remember the, the bad guys all got together, Haman and all his henchmen, and they cast this lot to determine that day in March that they were gonna destroy all the Jews. It was called the pur. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, these days were called Purim for the word, from the word Pur because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them. The Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who join them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of them die out among their descendants. And guys, I gotta tell you, it's happened exactly like that. For 2,491 years, the Jews have observed the Feast of Purim. In fact, they just did it two months ago, March 1st, 2018, and they had a huge celebration. And you know what they do on that day? It's feasting, it's joy, it's giving gifts to the poor, but they read the entire book of Esther. And they've been doing it for all those years and reading about an unlikely hero, somebody who stood up for what they believed in. The last chapter of the book, it's real short, Esther chapter 10, it just says, King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores and all his acts of power and might together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king had raised him. Are they not written in the book of the annuals of the king of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. I love how it ends, right? It says, because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. What an incredible truth. What an incredible story. What an incredible God. 
All right, if you're taking notes, here's some life lessons for you. Life lessons from chapter 7 through 10, just to write these down. Number one, God always delivers his people. Guys, don't miss this. God always comes through. God does, right? I mean, this, we see God used Mordecai and Esther. However, our faith is not in people, but in God. Our faith is not in people, but in God. And that's what Mordecai was trying to say to Esther. Hey, you were put here for such a time as this. But even if you don't step up, right, God's going to bring deliverance. And so often I think we look at our circumstances and we put our hope and faith in people or in bosses or in jobs or bank accounts. And no, 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 no. Everything comes back to God. It comes back to him. And that's why God's name is never mentioned in this book. That's why. Because the sovereignty of God means he is always with us. He is always there. He is always with you. He is always for you. If you're in Christ, you are his child. Maybe you walked in today and you were carrying some kind of burden. I don't know what it is. Maybe you walked in and it was relational and you were just, man, you're just struggling. And maybe it's in your marriage or with your kids or maybe it's a friend or, or maybe there's a financial struggle. Maybe it's something in your career. You're like, oh, listen, 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 listen. God is with you. Don't forget that. And maybe you're praying, you're like, God, do you hear my prayers? And God's going, oh yeah, I do. I'm with you. Trust me. Hold on to me. I'll never give up on you. Guys, even when all seems lost, with God, there is always hope. There's always hope. Our God is greater. Our God is greater. So when you come in today, you just know this, there is hope. When you leave today, you go out in hope. You go out with your mind and your heart more in love with God because God always comes through. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I love these verses. Man, if you don't know these, write them down, memorize them. You know, because it's just so important. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And so many times we want to lean on our own understanding. I don't know how this situation is going to work out. God, I don't know what's going to happen over here. I'm trying to figure it out. And we spend all our time trying to fix it or figure it out. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. God's my deliverer. God is with me. God is for me. Here's the second one. If you're taking notes, it's this. Sin never wins in the end. I'm just telling you, sin never wins in the end, right? I mean, you look at this story and you're thinking, Haman's gonna win. I mean, he's building the gallows. They've sent out the edict. How in the world? But sin never wins in the end. It just, it just doesn't. It always ends up in the light. Pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. And, and I have to tell us this. In our lives, we have to look at our lives and go, you know, am I becoming more prideful or more arrogant? Or am I becoming more humble and more dependent on the Lord? Jesus, humble. Moses, the most humble man that ever lived, right? All these come back to this humility. Mordecai, humble. Haman, prideful. And look in our lives because sin can easily come in and get a foothold. Don't put your faith in things of this world. Money, possession, and power. And that's what Haman was doing. I'm gonna climb the ladder. I'm getting to the top. I'm gonna run people's lives. I'm gonna be over everything. <laughs> and sometimes we can get caught up in that in our day, in our culture, in money and power and position and think it's all about that. But just in your life, contrast Mordecai, contrast with Haman. And Mordecai, this humble servant, 
This man who said, I'm not gonna bow down, you know, and worship you, I'm gonna stand for God. And Haman, who was, man, domineering, prideful, and arrogant. In our lives, are we looking more and more like Mordecai? Are we looking more and more like Haman? Maybe today, maybe today there's an area in your life where you go, man, it's just sin. Nobody knows about it, right? Maybe it's an affair, physical, emotional. You know it. You feel like there's this, this electricity and you got this other person over there. And, and I'm just telling you right now, flee, run away, get away. Because listen, 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 listen. God is with you. God is for you. But sin's gonna come out in the end. The sin's gonna come out into the light. That darkness is gonna come into the light. And you and I be men and women who stand for truth. Be people of character, be people of integrity. And hold on to God. Is your life looking more like culture or like Christ? You know, they were living in a pagan culture back then. We're living in a pagan culture today. And you have to look at our lives. Are we looking more and more like culture? Or are we looking more and more like Christ? What about you? What about me? All right, here's the next one. You must be brave to be a follower of Christ. And guys, I gotta tell you, you've gotta be brave. You gotta be strong. You gotta be willing to stand up and to speak out. Christianity is not a passive faith. It's not. I mean, if you want a passive faith, I mean, that Buddhism, right? And go sit on a mountain and commune with a higher power. It, that's a passive faith. But Christianity is not a passive faith. Christianity calls us to get involved. Christianity calls us to stand up for what is right, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Christianity calls us to, to love when other people hate. Christianity calls us not to be passive, to be active. You've got to get involved. You must get involved in your family, church, community, and the world. You know, some people accept Christ and go, okay, check, you know, God, I'll see you in heaven. Peace out. Great. And God's going, no, 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 no. No, I've saved you. I've redeemed you for a plan and for a purpose. I want to use you in your day and in your generation, just like I used Esther and Mordecai and the people throughout Scripture in their day and their generation. And the call for us is to step out. You know what? If you don't know history, right, you're destined to repeat it. <laughs> and Haman's plan to annihilate the Jews, we see it throughout history. Even up to 80 years ago when a man named Hitler came up with a plan to annihilate all the Jews. Killed over six million Jews in the Holocaust. And you look around, you go, where was the church? Where was the church in Germany? Why didn't they step up and step out? There were some churches, if you go back and read history, where the worship minister, as the trains were coming by, loaded with Jews and people screaming, and the worship pastor would say, hey, sing louder. Sing louder, church, so we don't have to hear it. <laughs> but there were people who stood up and stepped out, stood up for what is right. You know, as a church, we do a biblical study tour to Israel about every two years. We'll go again in October of 19. And, and when we're in Jerusalem, we go to a place called Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. I want to tell you, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. And so often we kind of forget what's happened. But when you go there, one of the first places you walk in, there's this building and you you go in, it's a memorial to all the children that were killed. Like Haman said, you know, kill the women and the children. That's what Hitler did. And you go in there, and there's just one candle. It's burning in the center, and then there's thousands of mirrors everywhere. 
And you just see this one candle reflected, and they're reading the names of all the children who were killed just over and over their names. You walk through there, and you're like, whoa. You come out, and there's a place, though, in the courtyard called the Righteous Among the Nations. The Righteous Gentiles, and there's a tree planted to people who stood up and stood out, people like Corey Tinboom. Corey Tinboom, who, uh, if you don't know her story, go back and read it. Her dad was a watchmaker. They lived in the Netherlands, her sister Betsy, and, and there they are, and they're watching these Jews being carried off, and they started opening their home and hiding Jews in the closet and, and getting them out to the Underground Railroad and getting them out to safety. And they saved so many people, and then they were found out, right? And Corey Timboon was taken off in her old family to a concentration camp where many of her family died. But because of a clerical error, Corey Timboon was released later on. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. If you haven't read it and you're a Christian man, you ought to read that book. But a person who stood up for what she believed. If I perish, I perish. But I'm gonna stand up for the things of God, the things that are right. Or Oscar Schindler. You know, this year is the 25th anniversary of the movie Schindler's List. Steven Spielberg says, still, it's the greatest movie he's ever done. Most important movie he's ever done. Oscar Schindler, who was a Nazi and a businessman, he started realizing what was happening and he hired Jews so that he could get them out. He saved over 1,200, over 1,200 Jews at the end of the war, he knew, right? He was gonna be tried for, for his nationality. But, but you know what? He looked at it, he said, I could have done more. He goes, look at my car. I could have sold my car. That would have saved 10 more people. Look at this lapel pin. It's gold. It could have saved two more people. And you just think the righteous among the nations and people who step up and stand out, even when times are hard and times are difficult. And the fact of the matter is this, who knows what we or our kids will face in the future? But be brave. You know, I love about Mordecai, man. <laughs> he adopted Esther. He raised her from early on to know what's right. And the important role of us as parents, raising our kids, being at church, getting them a spiritual foundation. Because who knows what the world's gonna be like for them, but who knows what the world's gonna be like for us. And there'll be times that we're gonna have to stand up. And there's gonna be times we're gonna have to put it on the line for the glory of God, but always know who God is with us, that God is for us. Here's the fourth one, this, everything points to Jesus. Guys, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. Everything is leading up to the Messiah. The Old Testament, all the Old Testament is pointing to the Messiah, Jesus. There's over 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ in the Old Testament, and all 300 are fulfilled in Jesus. You know, history is really his story. It's God's story of redemption. So Esther, one of the last books that's written, and then you have this 400 years of silence, and God is saying, I'm sovereign. Even when you don't see it, I am at work. I am orchestrating all of this. And go back and study history, and look what happened, right? Because Esther stood up and Mordecai stood up, and the Jews got relief from their enemies. You know, Ezra, if you keep going, about 15 years later, will return back to Jerusalem. Nehemiah will go back, rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is fortified. The, the, the Greeks, right, will, will rise up and they'll overthrow the Persians and they'll become the new world power. Remember Alexander the Great who cried because there was no more kingdoms to conquer? 
And they become the world power on the scene, but what they do, they Hellenize the world, so there's a common language, Greek. And then the Greeks go in and they take Jerusalem and they try to, try to Hellenize the Jews and the Jews are going, whoa, 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 we don't bow down to anybody else, okay? We only worship God. And so the Jews revolted and they kick out the Greeks out of Jerusalem and they keep the sacrifices going there at the temple. So when the Romans conquer the Greeks, the Romans learned. And the Romans go, man, these people are feisty. You know, these people are feisty about their religion. We're gonna let them continue to worship at the temple. We're gonna let them continue to have sacrifices at the temple, and then Jesus comes along, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, worships there at the temple, openly dies for your sins, for my sins, but he's resurrected, and the gospel, right, spreads. Why? Romans built Roman roads all throughout. The Greeks, a common language. God was setting the stage so that all people would hear the gospel. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing, right? But it was all pointing to Jesus. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our foundation. And so for all of us, that our focus is on Jesus. Hebrews 12 tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You guys, every day we wake up, we just go, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. You are with me. You are for me. And then the last one right here, God will ultimately triumph. Guys, God will ultimately triumph. That's what Esther's about. That's what the entire Bible is about. God will ultimately triumph. Listen, Haman thought he had won. Build the gallows for Mordecai, right? Hitler thought he had won. Concentration camps. Satan thought he had won. But that was Saturday. And Sunday, Jesus is alive. He conquered death. He made a way for us to have eternal life. And God's people are thriving. God, I've read the end of the book. God wins. I'm just telling you, I mean, I've read all the way. God wins. You and I, to know that and to live that, we know how the story ends. God wins. Therefore, live with confidence. Guys, live with confidence. God is with us. God is for us. Our heroes born or made. Our heroes born or made. When you are a new creation in Christ, you are born in Christ to stand up for what is right and for what is true. But heroes are also made. They are forged in the preparation of being in God's word and of prayer and being with the communion of saints and walking together and being ready for when that time comes. Esther and Mordecai had their time. For such a time as this. And guys, this is our time. You were born at this time in history for such a time as this. And God is calling you to be the husband, to be the father, to be the wife, to be the mother, to be the grandparents, to be the aunts, to be the uncles, to be the disciples of Christ, to be the people at your workplace, the people in your neighborhood, and the people in the world who stand up for what is right and to be strong and to be true and to be brave and to be confident. Because God is with us and God is for us. God loves you. Don't miss that. You know, the Jews, they celebrate this feast of Purim every year. And there's a time to remember what God did then. But Jesus established something for us to remember, didn't he? Communion, the Lord's Supper. And he says, Remember, remember the sacrifice, remember the love. 
Remember that if God would send his own son for you, is there anything God would withhold from you? Doesn't God want the best for you? Doesn't God believe in you? So Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he brought his disciples together and he goes, guys, this is my body. It's gonna be broken for you, personal, for you. After supper, he took the cup and he says, guys, this is the new covenant. You were under the old covenant before, the law, when you sinned, when you messed up, you were separated from God, but there's a new covenant of grace. My blood poured out for you. Substitutionary atonement, I'm gonna take your place. I'm gonna pay the price that you deserve to pay. Take and do this in remembrance of me. So this morning we come in remembrance of Jesus, that he is our deliverer, that he is our hope, that he is with us, that he is for us, and he will never leave us or forsake us. I'm gonna invite some of our A6 men and women to move to the tables. These are some of our spiritual leaders, but there's tables set up on the sides. There's two tables in the middle and two tables in the back. And I'm gonna invite you to come. There's a gluten-free table over here to come and take a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you, and to take the cup, his blood poured out for you, and to remember, to remember the sacrifice, and to remember the call for such a time as this. God has called you, and God has placed you here as his disciple to live your life and to be brave. So Father, here we are, your disciples. And we've come, Father, to worship you. We've come, Father, to say that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life, our hope, our joy, our peace. And whatever worries or distractions we bring in today, God, we lay them at your feet. And we look up to you. Father, I pray for healing. I pray for redemption. I pray for joy. I pray for peace. I pray for confidence that you would meet us in this moment as we receive your body broken for us, your blood poured out for us, and that we would determine to live our lives, whatever days we have left on this earth, for your name and for your glory. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray and we come to your table. Amen. Amen. You're invited to come and share the Lord's Supper today.